Right now we're going to do some topical series stuff. And so <clears throat> if you're wondering what we're talking about when I say killing it, um, I'm going to do a little quiz, okay? And there's one answer to this quiz, okay? And I don't want you to shout it out because I think you'll know the minutes we're talking about. All right, so here's a, here's a little quiz. Blank keeps you from, okay, so the blank is what you're trying to figure out. This blank keeps you from, okay, and here's the list. This thing that I'm talking about keeps you from celebrating someone's success, okay? This something keeps you from initiating an apology when you know you're wrong. This something keeps you from admitting you're wrong, admitting you need help, admitting you know nothing when it's completely obvious to everyone else. Uh, this something keeps you from being honest with, with yourself and with others, and this something keeps you from learning new things. Do you guys know what it is? Pride. It's pride. Pride. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to be talking about pride for the next three weeks, okay? And, and pride isn't just keeping you from certain things. It also causes, causes you to do certain things, okay? And maybe you can relate with some of these things on the list. Uh, pride causes you to keep arguing after you realize you have, you have no point. Pride causes you to falsely believe you know everything. Pride uh, feels good when others fail. You're, you're like, ah, ha, ha. I'm not going to say it out loud, but that's how I feel, right? Pride causes you to close up when you know you should be opening up. Pride causes you to choose to cheat rather than to admit defeat. Nobody here, right? <clears throat> or your favorite team. Lose, you know, okay. Um, pride causes you to cover up your failures. Pride causes you to have to have the final word. And pride causes you to prove something to people who don't care. Okay, you're trying to do something to impress the people, and they're like, they're not even watching. He's like, I don't care. I'm going to keep doing that, you know? Like, that's what pride, pride makes you do some pretty crazy things, and it keeps you from doing the right things. It makes you do the wrong things. Pride is a very dangerous thing. As a matter of fact, this isn't just my opinion. People have talked about pride for a long time, and here's, here's a quote from a guy named C.S. Lewis. If you don't know C.S. Lewis, Christians love quoting C.S. Lewis because he's like the smartest guy we know. This is what he says. Unchastity, and by that what he means is everything that's impure, impure in this world, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. He's talking about pride. He's saying all these bad things in this world are like this small compared to what we're talking about, we're talking about pride. He says, because pride leads to every other vice. It's a big deal, okay? And as a matter of fact, a few paragraphs later, this is, from a, this is a quote from a book called Mere Christianity. Next part. <clears throat> it is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. He would go on to talk about how a lot of times pride might be the cause of some of the greatest nations in the world to fall. Somebody would come and say, hey, I think there's a problem. We need to address it. And they'll say, no, everything we're fine because you know what? We're the toughest country in the world. And then eventually they pr they're the pride causes their defeat you know pride is a very dangerous thing because pride could destroy nations pride i mean that thing that could destroy nations is in every single one of us it could destroy us right and today we see pride if you turn on the news you still see pride you're like if they could just admit that they're wrong if they if they could just admit and just say i'm sorry if they could just admit to these things if they could just take their pride and put it aside there'd be more peace. You know, like, you're like, why, why can't they just see that all they have to do is show a little humility, right? So pride is a thing <coughs> that could destroy nations, but it could also destroy us, right? So, but today we're going to be talking about something more specific. 
We're going to be talking about this because pride destroys your relationships. Relationships. In the coming weeks, we'll be talking about how it could destroy other things. But today, we want to focus on relationships. Because the thing is, the very thing that could destroy nations, okay? Pride, the thing that could destroy the greatest people in the world, okay? This pride lives in every single one of us, okay? And this very pride could destroy the most important relationships in your life. And when God is looking at us, he's not looking at us saying, well, there goes another one, there goes another one. His heart is breaking over all the great relationships that we could have. Whether if it's with somebody that we agree with or if it's with somebody that we disagree with, somebody with a different political affiliation, somebody with a different religious background, somebody with a different race, different gender, different social status. All these, these relationships are very, very important in God's eyes. And God is watching humanity destroy one, every single one of them. And in most cases, and according to C.S. Lewis, at the core of it is because of pride. We're too busy being right. Or we're too busy thinking, like, I'm too good for them. Like, this is the problem. <coughs> Excuse me. And so pride could kill relationships. Pride kills relationships. You know, you've seen it before in your own life, right? Pride kills relationships, and this is how it plays itself out. So I want to show you this. Pride diminishes... <coughs> Excuse me. Because pride diminishes our cap- capacity to do certain things. I'm going to list three things here that... that Pride keeps us from, from doing. Okay, so here's the first one. They all start with the letter A. First thing is, pride diminishes your, your, your capacity to admit certain things. When you're wrong, pride is the thing that keeps you from saying, yeah, I, I was wrong. Pride is the thing that, that keeps you from admitting defeat. Like, yeah, I lost. Or as you saying, I'm sorry, that was, that was my fault. Pride keeps you from saying these things. Okay, and so this is why pride is dangerous because it keeps you from admitting truth in your own life. The second thing, pride diminishes your ca- capacity to apologize. It keeps you from saying, I'm sorry. It takes, when all you have to do is take responsibility for certain things, pride is the thing that says, I could take responsibility for it, but I'm not going, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it because it makes me look bad, it makes me look weak. I, I don't wanna do it. So it keeps you from saying, I'm sorry. And finally, the third thing is, it keeps you from affirming other people's success. You're at work, and you've been, you've been working on this project, and you know there's another guy competing for that same project, and that person gets it. Pride is the thing that keeps you from saying, hey, good job. I saw what I did. I saw what you did, and obviously you did a better job. I just want to say congratulations. It's the thing that keeps you from saying, like, hey, good job. It's a thing that a father sometimes will have a hard time saying, I love you to your own child because it makes you feel like, I don't want to get gushy with my son. I don't want him to see this weak side of me. But I just want to affirm him and say, I love you. It's the thing that keeps you from saying that kind of thing. It's the thing that keeps you from saying, I love you to somebody that maybe you wanted to say I love you to for a long time, but you feel like it's awkward, you know? <laughs> Pride keeps us from saying the things that we need to say. And here's the thing. These three things that start with the letter A, admitting, apologizing, affirming, these three things are key to a good relationship. It's key to a good marriage. And maybe you know marriages that fell apart because somebody just wouldn't admit to being wrong. And they, they will say something like, you know what, um, I'm only 20% wrong. 80% was that person's fault, right? But the fact that you admit that you're 20% wrong could go a long way to say, I have a part in this problem, right? Or maybe just saying, You've been waiting for somebody to say to you, I just want to say I'm really, really sorry for the way I treated you. And maybe this is something that happened years ago. That thing that I did to you 10 years ago, I just want to say I'm sorry. 
And you've been waiting for those words for a long, long time, and it never came. And the relationship could start healing if you could just listen to somebody say those words, and it never came because of pride. Or, or you just wanted somebody to say to you, like, hey, I just want to say, good job. And those are just the words that you wanted to hear. And if, and if you just heard those words, you knew that you could just move on with your life and you could start rebuild that relationship that fell apart. But you just don't hear those words. Pride is the thing that keeps us from moving on. It's the thing that, that destroys relationships. Right? Now, so, but you're, in your mind, you're thinking, yeah, there is that guy that I had a fallout with. There is that lady that I had a fallout with. There is that parent that I had a fallout with. And you know that you could restore that relationship by just moving your pride aside and doing something about it. You know that for to be true, but you can't get yourself to do it. Like in your mind, you're thinking, I know who God is telling me to say I'm sorry to, or I know who God is telling me to say, hey, I just want to say that you did a good job. I know there's, in your mind, right? But in your mind, you're also thinking, but I can't get myself to do it. Why? And here's why. Because when pride comes false assumptions. Now, here's, here's, this first, here's an assumption I want you to see. You, we all think that pride makes me attractive. Pride makes me attractive. I'll, I'll give you an example of that. Let's just say I get into a discussion with somebody. <coughs> Excuse me. I get into a discussion with somebody, and the discussion turns into a, not just a discussion, but into an argument. And let's just say this discussion quote slash argument is about between me and an atheist, Okay? somebody who doesn't believe in God, I believe in God, and I want to do everything I can to prove to this person that God is real, right? So I'm, I'm, this discussion turns into an argument. And after a while, I realize, like, you know, I'm like, I have this great arsenal of arguments. Boom, I throw a fireball at him, and the person goes, oh, okay, I got hit by it, but here's my fireball. Why God doesn't exist? And I get hit by it, oh, right? But I need to make sure that I have a good comeback. We go back and forth, back and forth, until he gives me an argument that I never heard before, and I'm like, now, at that point, I could just admit defeat. I could just say, okay, you know, I never heard that one before. That's a really good argument, and I really need to think about it because I don't have a comeback. And shake his hand and say, hey, good job on that one, right? I could just do that and say, it doesn't change, the mind, change my mind and change my faith. It doesn't change the fact that I still am a follower of Jesus, right? It doesn't, you know, it, it's an intellectual discussion, right? But for some reason, I feel like I have to end this discussion with me winning. Does that make sense? Do you guys, you guys can relate to this? It doesn't have to be about God. It could be about something else, right? But we always end up in this place where we're in a discussion and we're not talking about the thing that we're talking about anymore. We're talking about my reputation now. You know what I'm saying? And so when I'm talking about it, right, for me to admit defeat, for me to say good job, for me to say I'm sorry, for me to say these things that that person needs to hear, in that course right there, what happens to me is I start believing that by me admitting defeat, I'm actually weak. That my worth is somehow tied to this, this argument that we're having. That if I lose this argument, then my worth goes, do, 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 do. And I need to do everything I can to bring it back up, do, 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 right? And so what I do, I come back with some gibberish. I make something up. I will say something like, well, are you familiar with the justification, the sanctification, unification of the Lord Jesus Christ? And you, know, like, and you start coming like, with all these Christian jargon, and the guy's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, and if I could speak my mind, I would probably say, I don't know what I just said either. You know, and it goes back and forth even, and, and before you know it, you're not going to give up this fight because you just want to win. And in doing so, you just lost the friendship. You see, because we think, if I could maintain my self-image, if I could just keep up with this thing, if I could just win this fight, then I okay, can look attractive, meaning 
I won't look like a loser to this person. Okay, that's the assumption. This is why we try everything we can to keep up our image. I can't get, to say, I can't get myself to say I love you or I, I'm sorry or that was my fault or hey, good job. Why? Because by saying these things, that person might think I'm a little weaker than I'm the, the, the image I'm trying to give off right now, right? And so for that reason, you're like, I got to keep up my pride. I got to make sure I'm going to let pride take control over this discussion. And when that happens, nothing good could come out of it. Because that's the assumption, but the reality is this. <coughs> pride makes others feel small. In the attempt for us to become bigger than we think that we should be, or, you know, the actual reality, in order to do that, the best way, the easiest way for us to make us feel, ourselves feel big is by making the other person feel small. It's basically our way of deprioritizing that other person for the sake of placing priority on our own image. It's basically saying, I'm better than you, and better than the image that you think of me, and the way I'm going to prove it is by deprioritizing you in this relationship. I'm more important than you, and everything I'm about to say right now is to make sure that you know that I'm more important than you. Do you see why pride could destroy relationships? Do you see why this is such a dangerous thing? And so when you read through the scriptures, and pride is actually a theme that goes throughout all of scripture, even the whole idea of a devil and Satan has its roots in this idea of pride, okay? And so pride is a huge deal here. And, but, but the thing that the Bible always talks about over and over and over again is this, that pride is a prison. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, pride is a prison in this way, that it shuts us in and then shuts God and others out. And we're gonna be talking about this phrase for the next three weeks because this is the key that we're talking about, that when we let pride take control over our lives, if we don't shut down the, the, if we don't kill the pride that's inside of us, then eventually the pride will kill us. The pride will kill our relationships. Pride will kill the things that are most important to us. So this is why we're talking about this. So whenever there is pride and we let pride take control, pride becomes a prison for us. Basically, we start stiff-arming the people that are close to us because we don't want them to find out how weak we really are, right? And we start to eventually, it starts to erode us from the inside out. So this is a really dangerous thing to do, and this is why we, we're taking three weeks to talk about this. <clears throat> and here's the, the thing that's really dangerous about this. It's easy for us to see pride in other people's lives, but it's almost nearly impossible to see pride in the mirror. I can't go to the mirror and say, oh, look at me, I'm struggling with pride today. No, 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 that usually doesn't happen. We usually mask it by calling it something else, right? Like, oh, I achieve for excellence, you know, <laughs> or, you know, like, oh, I'm pulling into fashion, or, you know, whatever it is. You could call it whatever you want, but we mask it in whatever positive words we like to use. But the truth is, a lot of times, deep down inside, it's hidden and it's camouflaged into our lives, this thing called pride. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a story. Okay, we're going to be looking at two areas of passage today. We're going to first look at a passage of, of Jesus, okay, because if there's anybody who has the right to be prideful, it'd be Jesus, because he really is the smartest guy, the, the, the wisest guy, the best guy, the, the holiest guy in the room or in the world, right? So if there's anybody in the world that could be prideful, it would be him, okay? So we're going to talk about how he dealt with it, okay, how he, well, he dealt with this whole thing called pride. And then later on, we're going to look at a later, late, like a lot, like in the book of Philippians, a guy who makes a commentary about how Jesus dealt with pride. Okay, so this is what we're going to do today. So first, we're going to go to John chapter 13. And before we go there, um, I want to set up the scene for you guys. Okay, so um, if you've been following us to the book of Luke, we're still in the beginning of the book of Luke. We're jumping to the end in the book of John where these disciples, Jesus has collected all 12 of them by now, and they've been traveling for about three years now. 
Okay, they've been going around Israel for about three years, and, and they, pr- they built up this amazing reputation. They, everybody's looking up to them like, wow, this guy is different. Well, look at the 12 disciples. Look at them follow Jesus. This is amazing. So there's these 12 disciples who are following Jesus, and they have a re- reputation now. And towards the end of this story, his disciples start arguing with each other, saying like, well, one day Jesus is going to be gone, and this movement that's changing the world eventually is going to rest on our shoulders. So who's the greatest of us 12? And they start bickering, like, well, I think I'm the greatest because I've been here the longest. That would be Peter. Peter was there the longest. And they're like, well, I'm the, you know, coolest. And they're like, no, well, I'm the richest or I'm the, you know, I'm the blah, blah, blahest. And, and they would start fighting and talking about who's the greatest, who's the greatest of them all. And in this, the, the irony of this is that the greatest one of all time, Jesus, is sitting in that room while they're having this discussion, okay? So Jesus is hearing these people. Their relationships are starting to fall apart. Jesus is saying, like, he's noticing, like, this is the greatest movement that's ever going to take place. And the relationships amongst the people who are supposed to start this greatest movement in the whole world, that relationship is starting to fall apart. I need to fix this. Because pride is actually destroying this relationship. The most, probably the most important relationship in history, right? So he's like, let me give you guys a lesson on how to deal with broken relationships that pride has broken. Okay, so if you've been in a situation where maybe at work, at home, in your relationship, pride is the thing that's destroyed a relationship, this is how you should deal with it because this is how Jesus dealt with it. So John chapter 13, we're going to start from verse 3. Jesus knew, and this is important, that the Father had put all things under his power, meaning all power in the world is now at the feet of Jesus. Okay, uh, I think when we read this in our own time, we just kind of read right through this. Okay, but I want, this is really important. You are the most powerful being in the entire world. Thank you. <laughs> you are so powerful, okay, that there's no one that could compare with you. You're just like that. And the thing is, Jesus knew it. Okay, it's, it's, possible even the most power, it's possible to be the most powerful person in the world and not know it, and that's how you stay humble. You know, like, you know the people who are like really, really like, good-looking, but they don't know that they are? You don't know you're beautiful. Okay, yeah, that. Okay, so like... That's, that's not the case here. He knows he's the most powerful person in the world, okay? So if there's anybody in the world that can be, like, full of themselves, it would be Jesus at this point, okay? So he knew that he had all the power under, uh, he had all power, okay, that was given to him by the Father, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. This is another way of saying, I know that my origin is from God, therefore, aka, like, I am the most powerful person in the world. And he said that he also knew he's returning to God, meaning the worst thing that could happen right now is somebody killing me, and they'll just take me back to the Father. So I win either way. He has nothing to lose, okay? So Jesus is like, I'm invincible. Okay, this is the state that we're in right now. This is all happening when the disciples are bickering about who the greatest person amongst the 12 is, okay? This is what's happening. So what does Jesus do to fix this situation, knowing that he's the greatest person in the world? And by the way, if you knew today that you were the most powerful person in the world, what would you do with that power? I doubt it would be the thing that Jesus does. And this is why Jesus sits and he's so different from us. Okay, here we go. So Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, this is what's going on. Jesus, okay, John right here is, is describing for us what Jesus is doing. And what Jesus is doing is this ritualistic foot cleaning thing, but it wasn't as ritualistic as you think it is. See, this is what happens. If you lived 2,000 years ago in this area, you would wear sandals, 
and you walk around the dirt, and because your feet sweat, don't pretend it doesn't, it does, okay? You, because your feet sweat, the dust on the ground picks up and sticks to your foot. And what happens when you get wet things and dry dust together? What do you get? Mud, okay? And what happens when that mud hardens? Huh? It gets, it gets nasty. Yeah, there you go. It gets nasty, right? And it gets stuck. Okay, so the thing is, when you come into somebody's house, okay, back then the floor was not like tiled or anything like that, you know, um, especially if you're in the poorer part of the, the society. Okay, but when it came to eating, they believed that the eating area they noticed, some people call that the altar. It was a holy place. In your home, you're like, of course, the kitchen is the holiest place in my, in my home too, okay? And so when you eat, you have to wash your feet because they believe that foot, your foot was the most dirtiest part of, of your body. So what happens is you hire people, like servants, to come and clean your feet for you. Now, after a while, you have servants, right? But then you're the oldest servant because now you have new servants, and now there's a hierarchy in your servant group, right? <clears throat> and the oldest servant, we usually told the youngest servant, it is your job to wash their feet because I don't want to touch that dirty thing, okay? That's, that's what's happening here. So, in other words, washing somebody's foot back then, okay, was not something that the slaves did. It was what the slave slaves did. It was something that nobody wanted to do, and so the person who did it didn't do it with joy. They did it because they had to, because they were told by somebody that was superior to them, told them to do it. That task as they were having that discussion and Jesus realizing he's the most powerful person, not just in the room, but in the entire world, he's like, all right, takes off his shirt, takes a towel, wraps it around. By the way, that's what slaves wore back then. He got down and he started washing the disciples' feet. If you had all the power in the world, would you be doing this? The disciples didn't feel like he should be doing it. And they start bickering, like, oh, Jesus, you shouldn't do that. You're the greatest person in this room. He's like, I know. And he still keeps washing it, okay? And at the end, after he finishes all that, he has a lesson for everybody, right? This is the part that we are all waiting for. This is what he says. When he, that's Jesus, had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place, the highest place. That's the place that the person that's most important in the room would sit. And he sat there and he said, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. And his disciples are like, you wash my feet when you're not supposed to. Um, can you make it a little more clear for us, Jesus? He's like, I would love to. He says this, you call me teacher and Lord, which are highly respectable titles. So it's like saying, you call me with the highest, it's like saying, you call me doctor, you call me, I don't know, what is the highest? Sir, you know, whatever. Okay, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because I'm the most powerful person in this world. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, the greatest person in the world in this room, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He says, one day, I'm not going to be here anymore. And the world's going to look at you and call you teachers and Lord. And you're going to have this power. You're going to feel like, like everyone's respecting you. What should you do with all that power you have? Should you take that and start doing things that will start fueling your ego? I'm the best basketball player, so I'm going to start doing things that's going to fuel my ego to make a brand of myself. I have a beautiful voice, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start doing things that's going to get people to applaud for me. Now, there's nothing wrong with people applauding for you. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you applaud for me. You know? <laughs> no, you don't. Okay, um, <clears throat> right? But what Jesus is saying here is, start pouring, you know, like, with all the power I have in my life, I'm not going to pour into that bucket of fueling my own ego. I'm not going to let pride take over my life. 
with all the power I have in this world, what I choose to do with this power is I choose to wash someone's feet. I choose to do the lowliest of jobs. I choose to serve the people that need to be served. Why would Jesus say that? Well, the lesson continues. I have set you an example. Like, look, what I just did was so that you could do what I just did, that you should do as I have done for you. And he continues, he says this, <clears throat> Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than this one who sent him. This is what he's saying. Up until now, if you were the greatest in the world, like if you were the Caesar, if you were the Pharaoh, if you were the king, you know, King Herod, you would be here sitting on top of this great pyramid. And then you have servants, and those servants have servants, and then they just kind of trickle down like, like, like that, right? So that's what you did. And the reason you did that is because you wanted the world to know that you're that important. He says, in this room, I'm number one. The 12 of you are somewhere number two. You guys are kind of figuring that out right now, who's number two through number 13, right? He's like, this is what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to flip that thing upside down. If you are number one in the room, your job is to wash the feet of the person who's number two. In other words, okay, this is important. What he's saying is, you guys are fighting over who's the best, who's the best person in this room. Whoever comes and washes somebody else's feet, that person would be number two. Great power was not meant, God did not give you great power so that you could flaunt it and get, you know, fuel your pride. God gave you great power so you could go and serve other people, so you could love the people around you. If you have great power, then maybe you have enough strength to love on the people you don't agree with, because weak people can't do that. People with great power, you know what they do? They go and reach out a hand and say, hey, I just want to say I'm sorry. When you know that this much was your fault and this much was their fault, people who have great power use it to feel their humility and say, I just want to say I'm sorry. I want to stretch out my arm to you and say, can we, can we start over again? Because weak people can't do that. Some of you are thinking, oh, I definitely can't do that. And Jesus is saying, with all the power that I have in my life right now, I choose to use that to feel this not pride because pride could destroy me so he's like i'm telling you right now this game that you guys are playing about who's greater than who because you're fighting to see who could be on top this is actually a fight to the bottom <laughs> who can be the lowest to serve the person that's right next to them who who here can do that right and then he's like so i'm changing the name of the game and then after that he ends by saying this now that you know these things you will be blessed if you do them god has favor on you if you use the power that you have to do these things. He says, this is how the world ought to work. This is a world that God is trying to build in our midst. And here you are in the center of it, and you still miss the point. What he's saying is this. I want you to redirect pride towards serving others. Because that's what true strength is. True strength is getting yourself to do the things that nobody else wants to do because you, you know it's the right thing to do, but you just can't get yourself to do it. Why? Because you've been fueling your pride, and the pride is keeping you from saying, I'm sorry. Feel, it feels the, the, you know, it's feeling the wrong things, basically. <clears throat> Jesus says, what are you going to do with this power that you're going to have eventually? What are you going to do with it? Don't use it to inflate your ego. And the reason, by the way, the reason you're doing that is because you're pretty much insecure. You just want to fuel your ego and you want to have nice gold things and nice watches and nice cars and stuff like that. Why? Because if you just drive these things, if you wear these things, people might say that you're better than you actually are. 
But if you have that resource, why don't you use it towards serving other people? And like, wow, Jesus, that's a really tall order. I mean, I mean, okay, I understand. You are the greatest guy in the world. You are the strongest person in the world. But what about me? I'm just like, you know, I'm caught. <laughs> I'm not that strong, right? What, what are you supposed to do? Well, it turns out a few books later, in the book of Philippians, there's a group of people who is not Jesus, okay, call themselves Christians, follow Jesus, and they, they're in this church, and the people outside of the church are basically attacking them. They're like, hey, you're not, you know, with the program, so we don't like you. And the people in the church are like, oh, no, what do we do, Right? And Paul, one of the first Christian leaders, writes him a letter called the Letter to the Philippians. Not that creative, but that's what we call it. Okay, and he basically says, here are some tips on how to get through this. But as he's writing it, he starts to realize the number one thing that I see that's not working out for you guys is that while the world is attacking you, you guys aren't getting along with each other. Let's start talking about that first, okay, this relationship thing. Okay, and this is how you're going to fix this relationship thing. And this is what he writes in Philippians chapter 2. He says this, in your relationships inside the church. Okay, Christians, you're not getting along. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He says, I see that you're not getting along. And the reason you're not getting along is because you, you're like, you know how we're going to fight the world? We're going to do this. And everyone's like, that's the dumbest idea. We're going to do this. It's like, well, I'm smarter than you. So we should, and so pride is trying to get in, get in the crevices of these relationships. And, and so, so Paul, looking at this, is saying, this is not what Jesus wanted from his church. Guys, you got to get along. And here, this is the trick. This is how you're going to get along. You need to have the same mindset as Jesus. Well, what does that look like, Paul? It's like, I'm glad you asked. Here it is. He says this, who, Jesus, being in very nature God, meaning he's the strongest, most powerful person in the world, right? He's the most amazing dude in the world, okay? This God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't flaunt the God card wherever he went. He wasn't like, I'm God, so you bow down to me right now. Have you guys noticed, if you ever read through all the four biographies of Jesus, Jesus never demands people to bow down to him. He never says, hey, you, I'm God, worship me. He never does that. There are instances where people came up to Jesus and says, I know who you are, Jesus. I know you're God. And they get down and they, they start worshiping him. And they're like, what are you doing? You know, like people are like, what are you doing in front of this Jesus carpenter, Jewish rabbi guy? And Jesus is like, no, no, she's, she knows what she's doing. She's worshiping me because she knows who I am. But have you noticed that Jesus never demands people to worship him while he was here on earth? It's because Jesus never flaunted the God card. He never said that I was God so that he could boost his own ego. He says, you want to get along with each other? Do what Jesus did. Think like how Jesus did. Well, what's that? Jesus, knowing that he is God, most powerful person in the world, he never used it to advance his own ego. Well, what did he do instead? Well, instead he did this. Next verse. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He's like, he's God, but he chose to act as a human being, a frail human being. And not just a human being, but he took on the nature of a servant. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If there's one person in the history of humanity that did not deserve death, it would have been Jesus. But instead of saying, look, I'm God, I don't deserve this, you know, like, here are my privileges, right? My privilege is that I'm not supposed to go through this. Instead of that, he just said, he said I'm going to set that aside. I'm not even going to talk about it. And I'm just going to submit to my relationships. Whereas pride deprioritizes the other person, Jesus says, 
I'm God, but I'm going to put my priority on you. Paul says, you want to get along with each other? You really want to get along with each other? Because if you want to, if you want to fix your relationships, then you need to start killing your pride. And this is how you do it. Kill your pride by assuming that your goal is to serve others. <coughs> now, does this mean that when I'm playing a one-on-one, -on -one, like two-on-two -two basketball or whatever with somebody, that I'm like, here's the ball. Good job. You know, like, no, 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 no. I'm assuming that when you're playing basketball with somebody or playing tennis or whatever you like to play, right, that the opponent wants you to put your best in the game. But to serve others while playing basketball is not saying, here's the ball, please shoot it. Oh, you missed it. Here's it. Here's it. No, that, no, 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 no. Play your best game, and if you happen to dunk on another person, don't be like, <laughs> I don't think so. No, no, no. You say, hey, good game. Or, hey, that, that shot, the three that you did, you know, hey, good shot. Hey, we should play again. That was, a great, that, was a, that was a great game. Or if you're in a debate, sure, I'm pretty sure the other person wants to engage in that high-level debate that you guys like to do. But afterwards, if you lose, just say, hey, I'm sorry, you know. Hey, great job, you did your research. I'm glad that you did. I learned so much from you today. Put your pride aside. You're serving the other person by letting them know that while you might have won the debate or I might have won the debate, our friendship is not affected by it. Serving other people. If there's somebody that you don't agree, let's just say because of a religious background, it's basically saying, hey, you and I, we don't agree on the same things, but I still love you. You and I, we might have different opinions on this whole um, uh, sexual orientation thing, but that doesn't change the fact that we're friends, right? Hey, you and I, we might not see eye to eye on this whole issue, this, this political issue. And you know, when you were talking to me, that thing that you said, man, that made total sense and it totally went against everything I believe, but you're making me think about it again. Thanks for so much, so much for sharing that with me. Like, if you could just admit and put your pride aside, this is how we serve other people. The goal of friendship is not to make yourself feel good by winning over them and defeating them every single time. The point of friendship is to be friends. I know that's kind of like, right? But yeah, it's to be good friends to them. Jesus, when he called us to love people, it wasn't with a, a hidden agenda. It wasn't like, love them so that, you know, one day they could become Christians, you know? <laughs> that was, he didn't say that. He says, love them for the sake of loving them. Love the people around you in the way that you wish that you were being loved on. If you have a friend who's Muslim, and, and right, if that person's trying to be, be friends with you, how would you want to be treated by that person? Do you want that person to befriend you because that person wants to be your friend? Or do you want that person to befriend you because that person is secretly trying to pull you into, into their religion? No, right? If you don't want that, if you don't appreciate that, if, if your Muslim friend does that to you, then what makes you think that they would appreciate the fact that you're doing that to them? Be their friend for the sake of being a friend. Jesus says, don't play that game of putting more and more into this bucket of ego. Instead, what you need to do is put that power, that strength that you have, put it more and more into the bucket of serving other people. And in doing so, if you win them over, that's great. Praise God. I think that's wonderful. And if they don't, they don't come to see it your way, that's okay. They experience the love of God through you. And I think that's, that's something that God will be applauding, right? <laughs> so it's very important to know the goal that, that, that we're trying to achieve here is serving other people, to love them as we want to be loved.
to share the love that God has shared with us and share that with the people around us. And if we could just put our pride aside and start doing that, just imagine what the world would look like if all the Christians in the United States, if all the Christians in the United States just were to live by this one thing for, let's just say, one month, would you think that the world would be a better place? Yeah. If we just did this for one month, it could make a huge difference. C.S. Lewis said, pride could be the thing that could destroy a nation. And he said, that very thing is in all of us. And this is why we have to kill it before it kills us. Amen? Amen.